and we are live joined today with Dr. Dr. Jessica Hinman, who is a uh, professor at university. You're a professor, right? Or I am. Yes, I mm-hmm. understand not. universities have different like ranking systems, like the army mm-hmm. with, you know, but. You know, you don't deal with guns, you deal with English, right? English, Where? English literature? Um, creative writing. Creative, creative writing, writing. Yes. yes, right. Okay. And uh, you're in, you teach currently at which university? At Northern Kentucky University. Northern I'm an Kentucky associate university. professor there. Yeah. Very Amazing. nice. Pleasure. Thanks for coming on our show. Thank you for I'm having very me. Very excited for this. You guys are up for a real treat of a story here. You are. <laughs> we found some you investigation, we found a great story here. All righty. Because Dr. we're going to start with. Dr. Jessica, who went from being, you know, an old, like, tell us, wait, how about, yeah, where'd you come from? Yeah, you grew up up in Kentucky. Yeah, where'd you grow up? I grew up in two places, uh, both very country, rural places in America, small towns, uh, one in West Virginia mm-hmm. and one in Western Virginia, which is mm-hmm. just across the border. So very mountainous place in Appalachia, um, kind of isolated from other places and really small town. Mm-hmm. And then Almost from there- heaven. Almost heaven. There you go. And you know the country roads. They know that everywhere, right? Exactly. See? I know we my had stuff. To, <laughs> we had to memorize that song to pass kindergarten uh, wow. to be able to sing it. Uh, so, wait, ABC's, seriously? Or... <laughs> yeah, seriously. ABC's, oh, wow. your numbers, one through 100, and country roads. Uh, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> All right. No way. And then, yeah. So hey. wait. You so you grew up in like like a more rural area, but like yeah. you you like to to travel. From what you told me, you studied like Middle Eastern culture in college. Yeah. So mm-hmm. from there, I went to New York City for college. I knew I needed a change. I needed to get to the big city. Mm-hmm. And when I first got there, I intended to study music. But like most people who start studying music, you realize quickly that you're not good enough at music. You're finding your town, but now mm-hmm. you're in the big leagues. Not good enough. So. From there, it was kind of random. Um, I was doing what college freshmen do, which is like fulfilling your course requirements. And one class that still had a spot open was Intro to Islamic Civilization. And I took that in the fall of 1999. And I realized that I actually had something to bring to the table there, and um, which was this. I didn't know anything about the Middle East whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And so there were some people in that class that had, um, you know, interests because their families were either um, from the Middle East, either from Israel or from the Arab countries. And in that class, they would all be somewhat fighting and disagreeing. And because I was completely- Classic Yeah. <laughs> because I was completely ignorant of all of this, I would get better grades because I wasn't on one side or the other. I was just too stupid to know the difference, really. <laughs> and so- it's not that you were too stupid. On the contrary, you were smart enough to leave that headache out of your life, trust me. That's smart. Yeah. Sometimes I wish I wasn't involved in this stupid bullshit. Hey, yeah, I mean, a lot of people do not. But so out of my ignorance, I realized I might actually have a point of view that could be helpful as say a journalist. My original intention was to become a journalist in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. And I left to go study abroad for Cairo on August 19th, 2001. And was still in that phase of like, oh, they have different money, learning street Arabic. And then uh, 9-11 happened. And so I kind of saw that entire thing from that point of view. Mm -hmm. And that is written about somewhat in the book because what ended up being very funny to me, not funny, but kind of tragic from the American point of view is that um, you know, I could not get a job as a reporter in the Middle East. Americans did not want to know anything about the Middle East. They wanted to, um, you know, kind attack, of go, go attack, yes, as, as, they, as they did, tragically. And meanwhile, what I was able to do to make money was get this job as a fake violinist. So okay. that, to me, tells me everything let's, about, let's, like, American culture <laughs> at that time. Stop it right there. Let's stop okay. it right there. All right. You, yeah, said okay. you, brought, you said you wrote a book, right? Yes, I did. Yeah, sure, I, yeah. I got Tell it. <laughs> amazing. Sounds oh. like Titanic. Sounds like Titanic. Jessica oh. Chichanito, how do you say it? <laughs> Chiquetto, Jessica Chiquetto Heinemann. Yeah. You have like American Indian in your descendancy by any chance? Cause I, I, I don't. A... No, this is um, Italian American by people oh, who did not know Italian. how to spell. <laughs> and um, I'm serious. My grandparents, um, uh, great grandparents, when they immigrated here, could not read or write. And mm-hmm. it came out, an official wrote that down. It's mm-hmm. Italian, but it's not spelled correctly. And I use it because of that reason. I, one of the things I do love about this country is that in a few generations, you can go 
from being illiterate to being an English professor. It's true. You know, in the best in the best that's way. Amazing. When our country is working, that's respect. that's how it works. <laughs> respect, Dr. Jessica, really much respect. Yeah, much yeah. respect. So yeah. so so let's let's take it back a little bit. <laughs> sure. kind of, you went through half of your life in the span of three minutes. So uh, worry, there, there's more. There's more. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad there is. <laughs> The speed we're going out is kind of scary. <laughs> uh, so, so uh, you wanted to be a reporter in the Middle East, right? Yeah. And you said you learned the street language and everything like that. So you poorly, shwaya shwaya. Shwaya shwaya, yalla. Oh, okay. So it's gonna be like that. Yeah, uh, it's not. I, I'm so, Twenty years nah, ago, my Arabic nah. is now. A I lot, know. I mean, so. it's, it's it's what happens with language. If you don't yeah. practice enough, I mean, my dad still speaks fluent German, but that's because uh. he talks to me and I act like I understand. <laughs> so it's fine, you know. It's it's nothing. It's nothing to but that's pretty cool so i would say this is your classic example of faith right so you want it to be something but somehow in some weird way of how this universe works right mm -hmm. you ended up in the middle east like not too long after you you know you got so so run me through the steps of how you went from studying islamic civilization to ending up in i believe you said egypt was yeah, it in cairo yeah, yeah. yeah in cairo Okay. So it's common so, in, in American college that during your junior year, so we have four years of mm -hmm. college education, and during your junior year, you go to a different country. And to be fair, most people go to England or Spain or Italy and they party. Um, but at that point, I knew that I really, you know, I was a Middle Eastern studies major. Um, I wanted to be a journalist. And I was thinking that at that time, there were like some good developments in terms of like talks towards peace, Israel, Palestine, like, you know, the mm -hmm. things were looking maybe hopeful for the first time in a while. And um, of course that all came crashing down after 9-11 and, and As per usual. But, yes, yeah. Um, but, you know, I was very idealistic and hopeful mm -hmm. that I could go <laughs> and, um, you know, bring inform accurate information back to places like where I grew up, which were very rural and isolated. and. You know, I never met a Jewish person or a Muslim person before I left for college. Like, so I could bring sort of accurate information back about everything to mm -hmm. kind of more rural American audiences. Um, that ended up not happening for a variety of reasons. Uh, so, uh, what I could ended up doing was getting this ridiculous job as mm -hmm. a as a fake violinist. Okay. And, um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us how, what do you mean? Yeah. What do you mean by fake? Because like I, I don't know what a fake violinist. Nobody is, does, and it's kind of hard to explain at first. But essentially, okay. I really do play violin for real. Oh, okay. But I'm not very good. I'm not like professional, being at New York or New York Philharmonic sort of violinist. Not like that. Um, while I was playing for this orchestra, the microphone in front of me was off, and a big speaker system was blasting out music of a Violin. better violinist yeah and it all sounded like the titanic soundtrack which is why the book is called sounds like titanic um so yeah <laughs> where by the way where can people get your book in case people wanted to read it's it? it's everywhere i mean um i would say if you're in the united states please try to support your local independent or a black owned uh bookstore but um abroad it's um on amazon throughout Europe. And I think uh, it just was released in Russian. Um, I'm waiting to hear if it's going to be translated in other languages as well. Amazing. I mean, if you translate it in Arabic, that would be cool too. Just that would be amazing, please. I, I hope. <laughs> just throwing it out there. You know? <laughs> I, I don't get to make these decisions, but I would mm -hmm. love to have it translated into Arabic. So make your requests and uh, I will make my request. <laughs> but yeah, so let's, let's, let's keep on track. So you were saying uh, uh, how do you find this violence, job? Yeah. How'd, yeah, how'd they come up to you? So you were in Egypt when this happened? No, I was back um, in college after I mm. returned from Egypt for my, uh, it was the spring of my junior year, right after I got back from Egypt. And I saw this, um, you know, I was, I was struggling to pay my college tuition. So I was always looking for more jobs. Um, and I was already working two jobs, but they weren't paying very well. And I was on one of those email listservs where they just send out jobs. And one day I just see this thing. It's like violinists wanted play every weekend, get this money. And I was like, that's very strange because that's not how orchestras, <laughs> you know, that's not how orchestras hire people. They have auditions and yeah, it's very right? hard. And it's, yeah. And but I was like, they said, send in a tape. And so I sent in a tape and like a few days later they called me and I went to this office in Manhattan 
And I was like, okay, now they're going to figure it out. I, I can't really play that well. They're going to realize this is a mistake. And it turns out they did not only not have me play my violin. There was no audition, but they didn't even interview me. They just were like, oh, here's a tax form. Fill this out. You're, you're going to start working this weekend. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, no. you know. <laughs> but I, I mean, I was really excited, but I was also like, this is going to go really badly when yes. they figure oh. out how bad I am. <laughs> And it wasn't until that weekend when I was on, it was like my training weekend. I was selling CDs, watching another violinist and flute player play behind me. And I was like, they sound so perfect for being outside where the acoustics aren't good. And this just sounds weird. And it took even me with like 10 years of violin lessons a while to realize, no, I was just hearing a CD. So they were really playing, but even just a few feet away, I wasn't really hearing what they were doing. And they played nonstop for like eight hours while I sell CDs. And that was kind of how this entire thing worked. Um, did, did you know that it wasn't re like, were they were like, could you tell it was off or was it like, yes, you could. Yeah. It, but it took me a while, even mm -hmm. with violin training and, and being very close for a long time, I'd say it took me two or three hours to be like, mm -hmm. oh. And then later, you know, I talked to the other musicians about this and they were like, mm -hmm. yes, like this is how it works. And it's, you know, how you keep the sound perfect, no matter if you're playing outside in a mall. Um, right. But then this was done at big concert halls too. Yeah, okay, so halls. can we get, yeah, can we get more, yeah, yeah. more context, right? Okay, so like you were playing <laughs> in like different like concert say where was your like the, your symphony based off of or was it an orchestra what what were what, what was it <laughs> yeah <laughs> what, these are great questions good yeah. questions mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. all of this was organized by a man who in the book i call him the composer um <laughs> and he yeah and I, I just call him that and he really exists and all of this is true it really exists um mm -hmm. some people you know have written about this on the internet if you really want to find out who it is but i purposely didn't name him um but uh he is an american composer and he was kind of the mastermind of this entire scheme. And he had as many as like 12 different groups go out on weekends to different craft fairs, different shopping malls, doing this sort of uh, what I call the Millie Violini, like Millie Vanilli, but Millie Violini because of the, so the violin. And so, um, and he was the person who wrote this music. Now, of course, this music was not like Beethoven. It was classical kind of, but it was very, very close to soundtrack music. And what people would keep saying when they came up to the table to buy CDs is, it sounds like Titanic. It sounds like Titanic. Oh, and at first, I, I you know, my first day, I was like, oh, is that a good thing, a bad thing? And people were like, I love Titanic. I'll yeah, take exactly, 10 CDs. Right? Right? Exactly. <laughs> That's funny. If it works, it works. It worked. It absolutely worked. So mm -hmm. um, I went from playing those small craft fairs to actually going on tour eventually with the composer all around America. 54 cities and then to China as well. Wait, sorry. Wait, how did China get involved in the story? I'm sorry. It's a great question and I don't know all the answers. Um, as you probably know, the Chinese government works entirely differently than the American government yes. uh -huh. does. Very, yeah. I mean, that's an appropriate word to use. Very different. Uh -huh. And uh, we were invited there on a cultural visa and we Ooh. played um, to crowds up to 4,000 people right. at a time in Lanzhou and um, Shanghai and, and Hangzhou and Wuhan, actually. Uh, and, Patient um, zero. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> well, this was back in 2004, hey. so before Wuhan became. <laughs> hey, no, no, Have you been do. tested before you got on Zoom? <laughs> <laughs> we are on a computer and it is a virus. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, but you know, yeah, if I were wow. to guess, I mm. think the Chinese thought that we were the orchestra who played the actual Titanic soundtrack. Okay, yes. Yeah, this happens what? a lot, this, this yeah. misconception between different yeah. cultures. Yeah, sorry, take yeah. it away. So, yeah. the way, so doctor, yeah, so I'm, I'm like, so you, you knew that what you were playing at that point, when you were in China, mm -hmm. you knew that you were faking it, right? Or were you still- Yeah, well, really playing, but the microphone's off and blasting the CD out. Okay, yeah. um, do people not get mad when they find out these things? Honestly, like most people have no idea. And like I said, even with 10 years of violin lessons, it took me hours to figure it out myself the first time I saw it. Mm -hmm. And so most people just think it's real. Um, and, and those who maybe have doubts are often probably a little too embarrassed to ask like it's like oh i just sat through a two hour <laughs> is that fake Wait, was that real, <laughs> is that real? Right? That's it's an embarrassing question mm -hmm. to, to ask um it's so weird <laughs> yeah. I mean, 
Yeah. That library behind you, is that real? It is not. Yeah, no, it it's not. not <laughs> Part of the illusion. Yes. It is a green screen. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, what about you? Did you not, like, did you not feel weird about it? Like how long were you in the orchestra for? Yeah. So at first I how did not. How do you feel about it? Yeah. Yeah, at first I was just happy to be May making money for my tuition, um, which I was pretty desperate That's to pay. That's fair. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, yeah, so I don't see why you wouldn't be like, like it's, <laughs> it's, it's hustling at the end of the day, right? You got to make what you got to make. You got to grab that bread and go. It's Absolutely. Simple as that. Well simple said. as that. So it's <laughs> literally like... Uh, that's on me, but yeah, sorry, you were saying. Yeah, keep no, going. you're you're right. <laughs> so that's and, how it started um, off. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and then think about you know I was 21 years old. Think about the jobs that are available for a young woman without a college degree yet. I mean, and in that economy too, which was pretty bad in 2003. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'd worked as a waitress and as an assistant, and in these low-paying jobs where you're often disrespected. Now I'm making much more money to play violin for real. No one's hearing me, but I'm playing, it was easier work, it was better paid. So at first I was pretty happy to have the job and I was traveling everywhere, which was nice. But over, I worked for them for four years and over that period of time, I started to actually feel a lot of effects of like being fake. Um, so I started to have anxiety attacks on, on stage um, because I was up there and it really didn't matter what I sounded like a lot at all. Mm -hmm. So I had a lot of time to think and mm -hmm. to look at people in the audience and I started to have panic attacks really about the entire thing. And I ended up quitting um, because I just didn't want to be spending my life in a way like this. Um, so the book kind of follows that whole journey of like, you know, Amazing. starting out just being like, I'm making money and, and then being like, no, this how, you can't do this. <laughs> how long were you, how long were you there for? For about four years. And okay. I started when I was 21 and I quit. And the last gig I ever played was when I just turned 25, I think so. Okay, can you tell us about your, your first gig and then like your last gig? Sure. Mm -hmm. um, the very first gig, I did not meet the composer. He was not there. I met a Russian violinist on a street corner in Manhattan. He's just kind of like, he was very brusque. He's exactly very Russian. Like, just get in the car. <laughs> No talking, <laughs> like very yeah, serious, cool. right? And you can see me. <laughs> I'm a pretty okay. big okay. Yeah, I, I talk all the time, as you can tell, and laugh really loud and um, kind of- Very like, extroverted, let's yes, say. Italian in my mannerisms and all of this. And he's just like this Russian guy like this for a four hour drive to New Hampshire. And uh, so I was just a little weirded out, but you know, in the next morning we, you know, they put up, us up in hotel rooms. We get up the next morning and we go to this beautiful lake in New Hampshire and they set up this tent and start playing violin and flute. And it's my job to be like, oh, do you like this music? Here's the CD you can buy. And people, as soon as they start that music, they press play on the CD recorder or the CD. Um, it was a Sony Discman back then, uh, press play. And people just flood in and are like, oh, this music, what is this music? I'll take 10 CDs, like this sort of mm -hmm. thing. So I'm just like passing CDs and just money coming at me, like, you know, thousands and thousands right, of dollars. Center, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And like, so the music you were playing, it was given to you on like sheet notes by like this composer figure, right? Yeah. And so when I, yeah, the, the, they had sheet music. And when I absolutely knew for sure this was a fake thing was that um, later that day in New Hampshire, um, the, Russian violinist who I call Yevgeny in the book, um, he uh, was like, do you want to play now? And I was like, oh yeah, definitely. So I get up behind the microphone, get my violin, and I have the sheet music in front of me, and he presses play on the recorder, and I immediately lose my place, right? Because there's no conductor. There, mm -hmm. I can't, I right? can't really hear the <laughs> speakers. Funny. I don't know when to start, you know? And like, I'm just like, when should I start? And the music yeah. playing. <laughs> And you're like, exactly. Oh, okay, I'll keep going. <laughs> right. I, I I'm just like kind of like just <laughs> not even playing at that point because I'm just lost. Mm -hmm. And when I look up, the song lasts like two or three minutes. It feels like a lifetime, and because I'm just so embarrassed, like it's so bad. And I look up, and there's a crowd of people, and they're all like, ah, like looking at me, like I'm Isak Perlman or somebody, you know, like a you know, the best violinist in the world and all applauding and being like, you're amazing. <laughs> and I was like, oh. <laughs> and that's when I knew for sure. That sounds like a fun job. I'll be honest. I'll do that for a summer. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just go like, okay. 
podcast. I yeah. Look at me, you know? Like... And of course, I got better and better. And I, you know, by the end of this, I really was playing exactly along to the music. Do you think, yeah, had... do you think you could have been like a real violinist, like playing like an actual, actual music? Or were you like, because you remember you said earlier, like you weren't that yeah. high league enough to, and music that, you know, you need to be really, really good, right? So do you yeah, think it you could have, if you went for it legit? It depends on like what you mean by legit. I mean, you know, there's like rock bands out there like that use violinists and maybe something like that, but mm -hmm. New York Philharmonic or a <laughs> professional orchestra, absolutely not. I, I you know, mm -hmm. yeah, some people um, make their skills into what they are, but no, I was not good. At, I was probably not even good enough for a good band. You know, sometimes people ask me to play for weddings who, you know, want a cheap violinist and uh, you, know, like, you do it. You're like, yes, sure. <laughs> I can I mean, play. <laughs> yeah, I can play a little you know, Every enough. Every night in my <laughs> dreams. <laughs> Wait, yes. so, so, so yeah. Okay, cool. Nice so, so that, that's your violin era, right? This is mm -hmm. where you were a fake violinist. So mm -hmm. right after that, you went into yeah, no, no, the no, chronology no, is this, no, is that I, I studied Middle Eastern studies in college. When I came out, you know, I had this, I, that's when I got this violin job. Um, but I thought that would just pay the bills. Meanwhile, I was looking for a serious job. I wanted to go, first I wanted to go to Egypt. Later, of course, by 2003, I wanted to go to Iraq um, and, you know, be a war reporter there and try to get accurate information. Um, but uh, there was nobody hiring for that. And Americans really had no appetite to actually have accurate information um, about anything really. And uh, so uh, I kept on with the violin job was paying my bills. Eventually <laughs> after I, I quit the orchestra, um, I went to grad school for creative writing and mm -hmm. that's how I became a professor today. So I kind of just focus more on the academic side of writing instead of becoming a journalist. But the entire American news industry at that point was collapsing. The internet completely upended all of our newspapers. Um, all They were closing all the foreign bureaus. So, you know, it used to be that every newspaper in America had hundreds of bureaus all over the world so that you could get real reporting from a lot of places. But in the early 2000s, they were closing all of that. I even went to the New York Times bureau chief in Cairo and essentially every newspaper there with Americans told me the same thing, which is like, we're not hiring anybody, you know, we might have stringers who are Egyptians to do our work for us, but we're not hiring like American reporters to go out and do in-depth reporting from here. Uh, and that was just, yeah. That was just the, the, fi the finance of it, right? Is that you couldn't, like, no one was like hiring journalists then. Yeah. And, and the mm -hmm. newspapers themselves were shutting down and, and they were losing money. And now look where we are. I mean, we're in a pandemic where no one has any accurate information about like their local news, uh, world news, these sorts of things. So, yeah. Uh, it's sad to see. It's sad to see that mm -hmm. even like yeah. when it comes to things like news, you're not sure who to trust and where to, you know. Fake yeah. news. When you're looking, I mean, fake violins, fake backgrounds. What's going on? What's, What's going on with the world? Honestly, what? yeah, no, but that's yeah. mm -hmm. But seriously, yeah, like what well, saddens me that the news media is very, you know, I'd say toxic. If that was the right sense of words to put it, right now, I don't. Would, how would you describe it, doctor? Well, I would describe it as this: when I was growing up we had multiple, you know, in a small, small town in Appalachia, we have multiple newspapers, multiple ones, like three mm -hmm. in, a, in a town of 3000. And that was a respectable job where you could make a living and raise a family and have health insurance. And, and they gave three different perspectives just on my little town. And all across America, we had that. And what that offered people was different points of view and also news that wasn't questioned very much because, you know, if the hospital caught on fire on Tuesday and they reported it on Wednesday. Everyone could see that the, you know, the hospital had been on fire yeah. and then they reported in the newspaper. It's, it's, it's just facts. And, and, and that's really important. And, and what we've seen with the closing down of all of those places is that you're absolutely right. People are very confused about where to turn for accurate information, myself included. And I'm, you know, I have a PhD and I'm educated and it's hard sometimes to determine what is real and what is fake and in a certain way that's what i was talking about in my book as well is that like this violin job was a metaphor for things you know the violin stuff is silly and funny <laughs> but like uh this other stuff of not mm. knowing whether weapons of mass destruction are real or not or, you know when your government's lying to you or not mm -hmm. or when um 
like, you know, the pandemic is real or not, which is something, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Don't get us started. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is a big problem, a big problem. And I, I do think <laughs> it stems out of these smaller newspapers and then even the larger newspapers firing all their journalists and, and running out of money. Um, Whether the pandemic was real or not almost <laughs> caused like the split between me and this. <laughs> This person right here to my left because we had a huge fight. I remember on the phone call, he was like, I think coronavirus is fake. I was like, No, <laughs> go out there, catch that disease, come back and tell me if it's fake. I don't right think now. it's fake this number. You should probably be healthy and you know, social distance and wear a mask and just you know, take care of your and now. You know, who won that conversation? <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, who won that's that funny. Jessica, I really want to know your final performance with the like orchestra, how'd that go? Yeah. So, I mean, just to give you some context, you know, mm -hmm. sometimes how many playing... pieces, yeah. How many pieces, like how many like instruments were also in the orchestra? It, it depended mm -hmm. concert by concert. So there would mm -hmm. be these small craft fairs where there'd only be three of us. And then um, at the bigger concerts, like in China or at Carnegie hall, there would be more um, 20, 20 or so musicians. Um, it's funny. So we had these concerts in these grand concert halls all across America and China, but my last, uh gig ever was actually again in a shopping mall this time with a composer and it was in january of i think 2005 um and we or maybe it was 2006 i'm getting my timeline wrong but uh, i should check my own book uh, around, <laughs> around that time flip through the book okay it was a flat so circle that's... now um but you know we we go <laughs> to <laughs> wait wait stop that slow slow down what <laughs> you can't just say that time is a flat circle <laughs> that's a that's a joke from um this the show True Detective. I see. Okay. Matthew McConaughey's character is always like time is a flat circle. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what does that mean? I think it just means that like time is always kind of um we're both in the past and the future and the present all at once. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. Time is a flat circle, doctor. Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, Matthew McConaughey. Brilliant mind. Um, all right, so, all right, all right, so, all right. All right. Yeah, so you're on the mall. You're in the mall shopping. Yeah, mall we were just at this kind of crappy mall in New Jersey, mm -hmm. and it was the last time I ever saw him. And, and I think the ensemble at that point had lost some money going to China. And at <laughs> any rate, so instead of sending out all these musicians to do his work, he was actually driving and doing the gigs himself. And, mm -hmm. and we actually had a really real conversation at that point about who he was that I do not include in the book, because at that point, I was mm -hmm. like, this is the realest thing he's ever told me. And so it's gonna stay private with me. That's fair. And um, because up until then, I'm just like, who is this goofy guy? You know, what is his deal? Who does this like for a living? Okay. Come up with fake okay. questions. You want to keep it to yourself? That's fine. But I really want to know, is he <laughs> as goofy in the inside as he is on the outside? Or is he actually all dark and mysterious? Or is How would you describe it? <laughs> I would say he's a, like many of us, a complex human being, right? Mm -hmm. So I think at first glance, you're like, this guy is a goofball, right? Because he's got these very bizarre mannerisms of how he talks and, and how he does things. And obviously his concert setup is, you know, ridiculous. Um, mm -hmm. But then I started, you know, as I wrote the book, it took me a long time to write this book. And as I was really thinking about it and I was getting older and more removed from the situation, I was like, but you know like part of why he was probably doing what he was doing is something very human, which is like, he really, really wanted to be a composer. He wanted to be a professional musician, but he wasn't that good at it. And guess who was exactly like that? <laughs> right? Yeah. That's you. <laughs> that would be me. And it's so American too, I think in this way of being like, okay, well, I really have this dream. I'm not very good at it, but I'm going to figure out a way to do it anyway. I'm going to find a way to achieve Fake it till you make it. You I was just going to say that. Literally faked it. Yeah. <laughs> Literally faked it. Did he ever want to go legit? I don't know if I can ask this, but like, if like, did he want to be a real composer or could he have, or I don't know. It's like, I can't speak for him, but I would assume, yes. I think he really wanted, um, I, he wanted many things that, you know, most of us want, right. To, to do meaningful work, to help people. Um, one of the reasons why this wasn't such a big deal is because these concerts that people came to that were not live um, <laughs> were uh, for charity often, right? They supported PBS, okay. right? Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, it wasn't like mm -hmm. some scam with, you know, stealing people's money or anything like that. It was like, you were still supporting- wants to play. Oh, yeah. That's more wholesome. That's more wholesome. It is. It, it's, more <laughs> not dark. it's more complex, yeah. right? Because mm -hmm. it's still wrong mm -hmm. to like fake mm -hmm. play, but it's, 
if it's for a good cause, that makes it more complicated, right? And um, no one's mm-hmm. being hurt or, mm-hmm. you know, no no musicians were harmed physically, at least in the <laughs> making of this. So. I want to I ask, do you know what other musicians do this? Because I know, like, maybe, like, Mariah Carey might be faking mm-hmm. some of her music, right? Like, singing or, like, Britney or... I don't know if you're aware of the general music sphere and, like, what's your... I, uh, opinion. Yeah, so I won't pass it. I mean, I don't know. I can't like you can't say for say sure it. for everybody, okay. but I do think it's very common. So, and um, in pop music especially, so someone like I think you know with Christina Aguilera and Britney mm-hmm. Spears, and I think there have been um, or Ashley Simpson. I don't want to cast aspersions on anybody. Fair. No, fair. Yeah, we don't want to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but like, I do think it's it's very common, and it's and and there's actually a human reason for that too, which is that we expect absolute perfection from people, mm-hmm. which is weird right because if you want absolute perfection you might as well be listening to a cd instead of a real person right instead of, yeah a robot yeah. not a human right how about that yeah. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it is probably not as widespread in classical music which is what made this so weird right mm-hmm. is that we all <laughs> expect that maybe britney spears sometimes has backup tracks uh, but but the new york philharmonic we would be very offended if we mm-hmm. find out that was a cd that mm-hmm. said you know in um barack obama's first inauguration in january of t- 2009 Isak Perlman, Yo-Yo Ma, and that entire quartet that played, they were not really, they were lip syncing along to, and that was because it was like 13 degrees outside and their instruments couldn't work um, in the cold like that. So they, now they were playing to their own recording or as I was playing to somebody else who was better than me, but like. Fair, fair, yeah. (laughs) It actually, and then the next inauguration, Beyonce lip synced the, Star Spangled Banner. And people get so the outraged. The National Anthem. Yeah. <laughs> Very what? common. Ali. Very common. Ali's, Ali's Star Spangled Banner. Imagine in Kuwait. <laughs> but you got like a cultural context. I feel like hmm. the National Anthem is one of those things. I don't know, in Kuwait, if someone faked the National Anthem, is that like a big deal? <laughs> <laughs> or is it not? No. They're like. <laughs> <laughs> well, first, how hard is it to song. sing? Mm-hmm. Because I don't know about your National Anthem, but ours is impossible to sing. So you have to have like. <laughs> Whitney Houston doing it, you know, because otherwise, yeah, we're like, ah! <laughs> and uh, even Whitney Houston's a great example, because she sang along to her own, the most famous recording of the Star Spangled Banner ever was her at the Super Bowl in, I think, 1990, and that was a pre-recording of herself, so that was not live. Uh, and so we we just expect impossible things from people when it comes to musical quality. Uh, I mean, it's it's a natural trait of humans to crave some things that are tantalizing, I would say. Mm-hmm. Big words, Ali. <laughs> what does that mean? Tantalizing? So, tantalizing <laughs> is basically, tantalizing means something that you really want but can't have. Ooh. So humans are very... We have a creative writing professor yeah. on the show. Yeah. Big I, words. I'll give you a degree what, what right now. What do you think? That was pretty cool, right? That was amazing. I, I use these words. I don't usually do that. But it's true. We, we as humans like perfection because we are naturally imperfect, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So we, we look for that at every corner of every aspect of life, be it mm-hmm. art, you know, art mm-hmm. is a perfection, science, science must be perfected before we say, you know what, this fact is a fact. There's, it's just, it's hard, you know, it's mm-hmm. hard for people to stay perfect all the time. It's not how it works. Mm-hmm. If, yeah. if humans, there's a famous line, I don't know who said this, but someone said if humans were perfect all the time and they are no longer humans, but they are gods right mm-hmm. so i think that's robots. a very important line yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. i mean 21 21st century so we say robots yeah <laughs> <laughs> no robots but it's, weren't a thing back then so. mm-hmm. yeah it's well said I, I i think you're absolutely right um and and it's weird with live performance too right because it's like the whole point of going to a live performance is maybe to get that more raw sound exactly. that more raw well, feeling 100 i love yeah. like going to live performance because you hear like the artist and they're not perfect, right? But they yeah. like improvise and like they do mistakes and you hear them and like you hear yeah. them figuring it out along and it's right. like, that's part of the fun of it, right? Exactly. <laughs> but I we expect that. people to be able to do everything perfectly. And especially I think with pop stars who are also having to dance yes. around and, and all of this, that's, that's so, I mean, a few of them can do it. Like Beyonce is like one of my absolute favorite, I'm you know, sure. who, yeah. everybody, everybody loves Beyonce, but, um, <laughs> but you know, for a lot of people that's, that's impossible to dance around in an amazing way. And then also be singing like an opera singer at the same time. That's just impossible. So. But is it weird? I don't prefer going to live concerts. I'd rather just, no, I'm actually with you on that. I like live, but I prefer actually listening for real. Like if I go to a live concert, it's just a, you know, it's like a party kind of vibe with an actual performance. 
performance there. You yeah. know, I go for the for the crowd, not for the singer. If I go yeah. for the singer, it's just to look at him, you know, yeah. and behold the glory of. Right. <laughs> I don't know. Depends on depends on the musician, Cole, Ali. I'm yeah, sure. Like, imagine if like J Cole came down to Kuwait. Oh yeah, no, I'd definitely go. Yeah, see yeah, what I mean. Yeah, buy the most expensive ticket. No, exactly. Yes, literally backstage pass, after party pass, you name it. I'm there, bro. Like literally, but but it's not because I want to hear him, you know, say it live. It's because I appreciate the hard work these musicians put when they step up on stage and perform, right? So as a token of my appreciation, I do attend, right? But if someone like I don't know. Who do I dislike that's a famous artist? Help whatever. Me out here. Whoever. You <laughs> I know? don't want to, yeah, whoever. They come sure. to Kuwait. I'm not going to go because they're famous, famous. and I have to mm-hmm. see them. No, if I don't the agree music. with what you think, mm-hmm. what you do, then mm-hmm. not going to yeah. be there, you know? When, when, when people were coming to your shows, Dr. Jessica, was it like, did they know about them beforehand? Or were, they, like, were you surprising people? Like, how? Like, did they come to you or did you bring them in? I think it worked both ways. So sometimes at the the craft fairs and the shopping malls, it was the first time people had ever heard this music. So they would like come, you know, gather <laughs> around and be like, oh, you know, uh-huh. um, and and totally, and then buy some CDs. Um, for the concerts that were for PBS and around when we did the tour of America uh, and China, that I think was more um, people who had already seen us on television and then pledged money to PBS, and then they got the free ticket to the to the concert. So those were maybe already fans of the composer's music, but he got that big fan base by just going around, kind of like shopping mall by shopping mall, craft fair by craft fair, Barnes and Noble bookstore by Barnes and Noble bookstore, just playing in a corner and people coming and really reacting yeah. to that music. And I guess that's like a way you can get away with it, something like that, right? Is mm-hmm. uh, people are listening to the first time, they're not too like, they haven't heard this too many times and they're not too yeah. analytical of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I see. All right. Yeah, and then you know, in this country, um, classical music is very paired with class, economic class. <laughs> um, so you know, like uh, I don't know if you've seen the movie Pretty Woman, but uh, she, um, Julia Roberts. You know, oh, Julia yes. Roberts. Yeah, absolutely. And when she goes to the opera, it's like that moment where she can be upper class because she likes the opera, right? Mm-hmm. That sort of idea is very much baked into our, you know, like oh, if you like classical music, you must be a rich person or educated, very fancy person. And that's unfortunate because I think poor and uneducated people like the music just as much as anybody else, Mm -hmm. Um, but they feel intimidated by the whole world of classical music. And what the composer was doing was saying, you don't have to be fancy at all. You don't have to be rich or educated. You can just come, you know, and and enjoy this music like anyone else. Mm -hmm. And I think that was part of his success as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Respect. No, for me, like when I hear classical music, I think of like cartoons, honestly. Because when I was a kid, I grew up like watching Tom and Jerry, and they just play yeah. classical music throughout the background. Exactly. Like, yeah. Tunes, yeah. Right? Yeah. And that, yeah. <laughs> so, I almost like, had a fight with you on the show, but you backed that up pretty well. <laughs> no, no, no. I know. Because I know, I know exactly what I'm referencing. Right, Tom right, and right, Jerry right. had all those classic tunes. Whenever I hear classic music, it you know, reminds mm-hmm. me of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With me, music is not something that's related to materialistic things. I see music as more of a soulful kind of thing it's more like i don't like when you said the rich people classical music that's mm-hmm. that's your basic stereotype right mm-hmm, but to me mm-hmm. like classical music is music at the end of the day and it's 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 all depending on the person's inner self what do they identify themselves as when it comes to music right mm-hmm. so here let's do this what do you think I like to listen to. Ooh. <laughs> That's a, ooh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I really, you know, I one, I'm probably not good at this game in general, but um, no one is. It's, it's a guess. <laughs> the young dude um, in Kuwait. <laughs> in yeah. the middle of in the heart of Arabia. Yes. Literally a desert country. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna say two things. How about classical and hip hop? You're out on hip hop. I <laughs> don't deal with classical. Okay. I do <laughs> not deal with do classical. Okay. What about yeah. wait? Let me let's let's try with Dr. Jessica. Let's see what she oh. what she likes. Uh, classical music. Yes. yes. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you, you got it. Wait, you you listen to classical music still? I do. So I mean, you know what's so funny about this is that when I I I play violin because when I was four years old, I actually listened to a cartoon that had a Vivaldi Vivaldi's Four Seasons in the background. Oh. I did not know it. Yeah, I did not know it was that at the time. But I went to my parents and I was like, what is this music? I want to play violin. Mm-hmm. And we lived in such a mountainous rural place that then the nearest teacher was two hours away. So for years, every 
birthday at Christmas, I'd be like, I want a violin. And they're like, no violin. There's no teachers. <laughs> you know, you can't have it. Finally, on my eighth birthday, they were like, okay, we're going to drive you two hours there, two hours back for one twinkle, twinkle lesson, you know, on the violin. <laughs> and they did that for years. And that's Worth how I it. learned. Yeah. And I really, really, that music, I don't, you know, I struggled to even explain it. And when I was, but a lot of the little kids are like this. If you watch little kids with violins, you know, and, and classical music, they will just drop everything and go up to you. And, you know, when I was even playing for this composer, the kids just, um, they, they're mesmerized by mm -hmm. it. Um, I quote a poet in the uh, book and his line is, all of the children wade into the music as if it were water. And student, like the, the kids mm -hmm. just, you know, walk Love into it. it like it's yeah. an ocean. They, they can't get enough. Love. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, I think little kids are really, really susceptible to any sort of music and they don't have any of those ideas of like, what's cool, <laughs> what's not cool, what's fancy, what's not fancy. They just, mm -hmm. they just love it. So that's Are you listening to me. what kids these days are listening to? I mean, that's the biggest <laughs> proof. Like literally. A little bit. Like I love Cardi B. I love, uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I um I probably that came not. out of nowhere. You said you were into classical music. That's not fair. Who doesn't? You know. Uh, <laughs> That's I, I, I don't. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, so um, team Nikki all the way. Okay. Just say the truth. Yeah. Um, Nikki yeah. What do you think of the Titanic, Doctor Jessica? The movie. Now that um, you, I mean, you named your book. That sounds like the yeah. Titanic. Yeah. What do you think of the Titanic? <laughs> the movie. So yeah. <laughs> in the book, I have to get into that, right? So why was it that in this time of national disaster, right after 9-11, everybody wanted this Titanic music, right? Because the composer sold millions of CDs. And I'm like, why don't they just go get the real Titanic CD if Soundtrack, they like it yeah. so much, right? <laughs> That's funny, uh-huh. And, um, and so what I kind of came to conclude is that what that movie reminds people of, you know, everybody thinks about the ship sinking. But what its real genius was is being framed by the old woman telling the story. Because what that tells us is that years after disaster there will be survivors who can tell the story with good humor and jokes and like you know have lived long lives and i think that after 9 11 yeah and then yes. like also now you know is like we really really need to be reminded of that um that we will you know like a celine Dionta's, uh yeah. go on survive on. you know that that one <laughs> wherever you are <laughs> and people, I think, subconsciously picked up on that, and that's why mm -hmm. this was this music was so appealing to them. Mm -hmm. That's my theory, at least. Mm -hmm. Very. I mean, what I picked up from Titanic was basically a guy who liked a woman that's way out of his league, but got the <laughs> chance to. So that's what I picked up. Good job, Leo. Good job, Leo. Correct. Yeah. Go get him. But it's amazing how he acted that, and now he's like way out of everyone's. That was when he was young. Oh, how the turntables, right? Amazing. So yeah. Doctor, what was it like to write a memoir? What's it like <sighs> ten years, I don't know how long after this? Like, yeah. When did you You're... start writing the book? How do you know it was done? Yeah, I started writing notes to it when I was on tour, just in my journal. Mm -hmm. I knew it was gonna be something. I didn't know it was gonna be a whole book. I thought maybe an article. Um from there it took me thirteen years of writing <laughs> to write the book, if that gives you a long time and a lot of school to learn how to do it in a way that I wanted to do it. Um, and now I, that's what I do now is help students try to figure out how to tell their own stories because it is more complicated than it might seem at first. Um, you think, oh, I'll just sit down and write my story. No, it's, it's a good way to get a very badly written book. Uh, yeah. So I, I tried really hard to, mm -hmm. to make it as exactly how I wanted to tell this story. And it took me a long time to just figure out what the story was other than some silly orchestra thing. Like, all the bigger theories of how this connected to America and the Iraq war and, um, you know, all sorts of, you know, um, things having to do with gender and class and, and classical music, all of that came later. Cause I had to think it through like, okay, this happened to me, but what does it mean? But what does it mean? takes a long time to figure out. Mm -hmm. I see. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how hard was it to stick to now? Don't take this question in the wrong way, but I really want to know, uh, how hard is it to stick to what actually happened versus how you perceive things happen? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. Great I mean, question. so everything, one beauty of the genre in memoir is it's at least written in the United States is that you have to be truthful. So you can't make anything up, but it is understood that of course, this is just one person's point of view. In fact, I, I put that at the very beginning of the book, like this is a true memoir. It's a, it's about a fake, orchestra but this is not a it's not a fake memoir because uh, there were some of those like people That's pretending funny. that this is true and no this is this is the truth is 
as good as I can tell it. But of course, I'm just one person. I have my own point of view. Other people might remember this differently. Other have different opinions. So um, yeah, I, I just try my best to be as truthful as possible. And in this case, you know, what's so funny is that the most ridiculous parts of this book are the truest because it's the stuff I remember the most, like the like most- what? <laughs> Like what's um, the most ridiculous that happened? So one thing that people are like, oh, that couldn't have happened, but definitely did was mm -hmm. the composer at one point, we put on Beethoven's symphony number no. five, you know, dun, 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 dun. Ah, uh, yes. And, it, yeah. <laughs> and he's, he's, in the, um, he's in the RV and he's like, what is this music? <laughs> he's like this best selling composer. And he was just like, oh, I like this. What is it? And we're like, what? That's funny. And I know that happened exactly how it happened because I went right to my journal to write it down exactly how it happened. And it was just so ridiculous. I could never forget it. But people reading the book are like, oh, that's so ridiculous. It could have never happened. So the moments like that that are like the most ridiculous are the most true. Mm -hmm. And some of the ones that are like more normal, I had to, that might be me doing my best to try to piece together memories because I didn't maybe write it down exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm right away truthful as possible interesting yeah and uh so okay let's 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 revise quickly what happened here so <laughs> why don't you go on to music because we we we, did, we talked a lot like yes. no joke. You, you 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 went into music couldn't so you went into islamic civilization right yeah where you found out arabs can never agree on anything and the one thing arabs can agree on is that they don't agree on anything right which made me feel yeah. at home because i'm from west virginia where it's the same so <laughs> right and uh you ended up in cairo egypt where you wanted to be a news journalist and they weren't hiring at the time so you came back to be a fake violinist yes and after that you, uh you went on tour for like from 21 years of age to 25 where you realized that this fake shit ain't you mm -hmm. and you basically went into english literature right mm -hmm. that's where you decided to write your book which is a new york bestseller or a top 10 i wish i wish it was a new york times bestseller it's, sadly it's very york. hard to, to get they reserved that for like michelle obama and better people <laughs> than me not fake violinists but um yeah no it, it was um but it did very well i mean yeah. it's um it was uh, nominated for a National Book Critics Circle Award, which is okay. a really nice Congrats. prize to yeah. have. Very well. you. Mm -hmm. nice. and, um, and it was uh, Amazon Book of the Year and, and got some nice reviews from places I really admire, like The New Yorker. So uh, I mean, New York is New York. Amazon is worldwide. So I think you kind of beat that there, you know? <laughs> okay. Amazing. I mean, that's how I want to look at it. It's yes. better, mm -hmm. than, you know? But no, that's still amazing. So your book is... A yeah. book, right? Like everyone <laughs> you wrote it. A, book, a real no book. One wrote, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like everyone, every every person tries to write a book, but no one writes the book that mm -hmm. ends up being Amazon bestseller and all these accredited awards mm -hmm. for a memoir about a fake orchestra. Right? That's, that's, <laughs> that's pretty unique. Like, it's, it's it's very good. Like it's mm -hmm. I. I'm very honored to be in your presence. And now Thank you're you, teaching. You, you what's, what's, what's that like? I honestly want to know. What's teaching? Teaching students? Like? I love yeah. my students. And um, I talk about this just very briefly in the book, but it's, um, it's real. Unlike fake violining, it's very real, right? My students need my help, and I don't have time to be thinking about myself, like, when I'm trying to help them. Um, it's just very immediate, and they have writing that they want to improve and I do my best to help them. Um, first, of course, with writing, but then also to look out for students who were struggling the way I was struggling in college, which was with for money, for tuition, and um, just maybe feeling like you don't belong in college because you're coming from a different place, a smaller place, um, something like this. So um, I really love the work in that way. And, and you know, because it, it is real. There's, there's nothing fake about it. Amazing. Haven't written a book yourself, I want to ask. So haven't written a book yourself. Me and Ali are both writers here. Do you have like mm -hmm. any tips on like writing? Like how mm -hmm. do you know like a book is done? Mm -hmm. you know the book, right? Or like, yeah, yeah just tips. Great questions. I mean, first, you know, writing a book seems like it's something you do yourself, but it's mm -hmm. not. You have all, you need all these people to help you. So if you're just starting out um, and you're um, really wanting to improve your writing, I would highly recommend going to a writing workshop and, and right now is nice because of the pandemic a lot of these are online and and it's kind of like this and you can submit your work and get 
15 different opinions on it. Often they don't agree, but it, what it does is it builds up your sense of like how people are reacting to you mm -hmm. on the page. And a lot of that advice is really good. And I did that for years and years. So I many see. workshops have different groups of people telling me what they thought. And that way you're never just like going from zero on your computer to like all of America reading your book. It's you go out little by little to groups and groups and get improvements and improvements and think it through and professional advice from professors and editors. And then, um, you know, in terms of when it's done, usually if you have those groups of support, at some point, people will start to tell you, like, this is ready to go. Like, send it to an, a literary agent now because this, this is very good. I want to see this in my bookstore. And, and so it's kind of more natural than just writing on your computer and then New York Times bestseller. It, you know, it doesn't really work like that. You have to get kind of go out slowly and get advice. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you for breaking it down. Like I've, I haven't met someone <laughs> like you who's written a book and a memoir and it's great. So much pleasure. Happy Thank to you. Do that. Mm -hmm. yeah, Such a pleasure yeah. <laughs> meeting both I think of it you. Takes, I think it takes a certain kind of person to write out uh, like a whole book. One of my dreams is to actually write a book and who knows, maybe one day I get to do that. Right. You can so, do it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Hopefully, with you know God's help and Dr. Jessica Hinman, <laughs> <laughs> then we have unfortunately uh, reached our time limit. So for, much. I wish yeah. we could talk for Thank more you. and more and more, but it is taking a lot of time. Thank you, Dr. Jessica. Yeah. Much pleasure. So, so, so nice meeting you. you. If you have reached this part of the episode, please, you know, subscribe, do that stuff. Uh, you can find Dr. Jessica Hinman's book on Amazon. And we'll link everything. Your okay, nearest Barnes you. and Nobles. Try to find a local bookstore right if you can. There. Oh yeah, yes. uh, let's talk about, wait, one more thing. Let's talk about like local bookstores because right now sure. that's the whole thing. They're getting yes. wiped right now as we speak. Like I live in Los Angeles. I know a lot of bookstores are getting shut down. Yeah. Now, especially because of COVID. Yes, yes. Um, what do you have to say about What's your what's your opinion? On, it's like, so so important to support indi mm -hmm. independent, local, mm -hmm. and black-owned bookstores mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. Um, and well, black for multiple owned. reasons. Mm -hmm. Yeah, black-owned because there's a history in this country of um, you know, bookstores being owned only by white people, and we want to support mm -hmm. those that are like uh, you know, run by black owners, so that we can support those communities as well. And um, not only to support those communities in our local communities, but um, when you buy a book off of Amazon, very little of that money goes to all the people who actually produce that book. So uh, a lot of it goes to Jeff Bezos, the richest man in the world. Ah! And, uh, very little of it goes to your favorite writer, Jessica Heinrich. And, and more importantly, even my publisher, Norton, which was an amazing publisher and an independent publisher. Um, the, the editors, the copy editors, the publicists, everybody who helped me write this book gets a lesser cut when you go through Amazon. So mm -hmm. when you go support your local bookstore, not only are you supporting your community and people who you might actually know in your neighborhood, but you're also supporting the writers and the editors and the publishers who make is it, book. Is it fine? Is it fine for, for me to ask like what, mm -hmm. like if you're going on Amazon buying a book versus going mm -hmm. straight to like the publisher, how much of that cut is going to Amazon. I know if you know what's so funny is I don't actually yeah. know. You like know the, it's for it's kept purposely, I think, a little confusing I, so that I don't actually. Even I know wish you were clear. Money. I really yeah. wish you were like, okay, this amount <laughs> yeah. of money, just so like we like mm -hmm. so we can know, right? Like, oh, right, right, right. you're actually helping out these like authors, yeah. publishers, and all these people. Yeah. Put way more work into it than. <laughs> You know, Jeff. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Much respect, uh, Support your yeah, local bookstores. Support your local bookstores. <laughs> support your local podcast hosts. Yes. Thank you. Uh, it's so nice meeting you all. And, and uh, before, yeah, <laughs> okay. sorry, you were saying? I was just going to say, um, I'd love to have a link to this whenever it's up. So, oh, um, it's, it'll it. be up in like a day, maybe. Two <laughs> <today>. I'm <laughs> okay. going to end this episode by saying, hi, Dr. Jessica students. I hope you're watching this in class. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, I don't know. You have you watched the full episode before? Uh, I haven't. No, I'm looking forward to, okay. to going back. Well, now that I know y'all are so amazing, like I'll have to go check thank it you. out. Much yeah. pleasure. So. Well, usually we end it with a salute to cover the camp and. <laughs>